Mistur Pinyzambi here, opinionated gamer, critic, insomniac, and lunatic here to talk games, movies, comics, music, and some current events, I guess. Just a safe space and safe place to talk anything and everything. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, play the intro or whatever. Put me in a blender till I render you unconscious. Little letter, no sender, cause you know I'm so obnoxious. Listen to this podcast if you're bored of you like nonsense. Music, news, movies, mini games, and even comics. Welcome! To the Pina Zombie Podcast. Woo! Hello, fellow insomniacs. We are back with episode 5, titled Cold Nights and Bloody Swords. But before we jump into the topics of the day, I want to get some apologies out of the way. Uh, One, I am sorry I didn't come out with this episode around midnight yesterday, as per usual. And to those saying, I honestly didn't even notice you dropped these off around that time. Fair. But to those of you, few, who did uh, know that, I am sorry. And number two, more specifically, to one of my listeners whose name shall remain anonymous, I was given a special request to do a podcast on the Yolanda and Selena special. I promise I will get into everything Selena and Yolanda in next week's episode titled Anything for Salinas. Also, if you have any requests as to what I should review, be it music, movies, games, or shows, throw in my direction. I'm a janky, jokeful jukebox, baby, and I take requests. Okay, so what say we have at thee and talk about our two main themes? I don't know why I rhymed, but it felt good, so don't judge me. Or do. I don't mind either way. Uh, We'll start the show by delving into the season-slash-series finale of True Detective Night Country, which just finished this past Sunday. Then use our Shinobi prosthetic to grapple on into Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Don't worry, no major spoilers for either. And I know, Sekiro is like 15 years old. I am well aware. But I'm one of those gamers that has hundreds of games still on my backlog. So I sympathize with the ones who haven't beaten it yet. Hence, the spoiler-free review. Night Country. Okay. (sighs) Look, I'm not sure if anyone felt this way, but... um, This season started off with so much promise, so much potential, but somewhere in the middle, it slowed down, got frozen in place, and it never really thawed out. Even if the ending was thought out, it didn't feel quite satisfying. The story was being pulled into so many different directions that all eventually fell flat. I think the shortened season was detrimental to the show. Most seasons for True Detective are about eight episodes, while this one was only six. The pacing seemed to move slow while mid-season, which is fine, so long as it gradually built up by the end. But then the season finale just ramps up in the last 10 minutes, and it feels kind of forced and kind of shoehorned in. I'll talk some characters and then some pros and some cons. Uh, about the series first. So I think we needed more backstory with Jodie Foster's character. She's a real hard ass throughout the series and she willfully admits that she hates everyone. But I think we needed to see more of how she was before she became a hard ass. We get very few glimpses, but I think we needed more. Kylie Race's character was solid through the entirety of the series as well. But I feel like her ending was kind of out of nowhere. She's afraid of seeing spirits or being schizophrenic because it runs in the family, but then nothing really comes of it. She might or might not be seeing a demon, 
but I'm not sure who or what that is supposed to be, and nothing is ever really explained, which adds to the mystery, I suppose, but it's also kind of like, what are we going for here? A lot of these characters just don't seem to find a satisfying ending by the finale of the show. Detective Pryor's character uh, is terribly written, and no offense to John Hawks, I think he's a great caliber actor. I mean, I loved him since his role as Soul Star on Deadwood. Here, he just plays a sort of jackass who's so obviously being swindled and taken advantage of. But at least he's a decent father. I mean, minus the capital punishment he dishes out. Uh, Hawks' character is just written poorly. But he is such a good actor that he is able to play this character with enough humanity that you feel for him. They use him as a sort of vehicle to drive some plots forward, but only when necessary. Jodie Foster's character says something to the effect of, he acts dumb, but he isn't stupid. But he really is stupid. I mean, there, there's a scene where he gives money to this scammer on his phone. And then there's another scene where he's talking to one of the antagonists, maybe, and this is kind of spoilery, but he's telling them, I'm a cop. I would never do such a thing like this. And then, like, quite literally in the next scene, he does it with no remorse, no hesitation. And he just goes through with it. He's someone that's used for the convenience of the show to add drama and tension to it. But he seems like just a ploy to move the, the show forward whenever they needed him. Uh, I will say he is absolutely essential in this show, though. Because there's this one scene where he's singing a song called No Use on acoustic guitar. And it is probably one of the best scenes in the show, full stop. That guy has some lungs. I didn't, I didn't realize how good he could sing. But it's a very, really cool part of the show. Next up is Leah Danvers. Uh, and I kind of even hesitate to put her on here. But, I mean, I, I guess I will. No offense to the actress. I mean, I think she did well with what she had. But... She didn't have anything. Uh, she plays a stepdaughter of Jodie Foster's character, and she's just lazily thrown around whenever the show needs something. Again, something for Danvers to be mad at, but I guess to also show the also show, 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 also show what the townsfolk are going through when it comes to the pollution of the mines. She becomes kind of this protester trying to fight. Uh, with the public against the big bad corporation, but it kind of just goes nowhere. It, it doesn't lead to anything, and it's kind of just done away with by the end of the series. And then we get to Pryor, uh, John Hawks' son in the show. Pryor. Poor, poor, poor Pryor. Finn Bennett plays Peter Pryor, John Hawks' son, as I said, Poor kid is shat on through the entire series and doesn't get the respect or the praise he deserves at all. He is, I'll say it though, if they ever make a Resident Evil movie with Leon as a rookie cop, he'd be perfect for the role. He looks like old school Resident Evil 2 for the PlayStation 1, Leon as Kennedy, the what do we have here? He looks exactly like that guy, so... Scoop them up if you guys are going to make a good Resident Evil movie, not a bad one. And when I mean a good Resident Evil movie, I am also trash-talking the animated films as well. Just as much as Welcome to Raccoon City. I will not be trashing the Mila Jovovich, Paul W.S. Anderson movies though. Because 
even though we can agree they are not good Resident Evil movies. They are a ton of freaking fun, and I will defend them until my dying breath. Other characters and definite nods to go to Kylie Race's love interest in the show, and also her friend who lives out in the middle of nowhere. These characters remain immaculate throughout the entire series, which is not to say that they are just good guys, but more to say that whenever they are on screen, they are a ton of fun to watch, and overall very cool characters. The show at the end just has a lot of threads being pulled, and most of them are just dead ends. Uh, they get Ecclestein, who is awesome, and he's a great, another great actor, and he's Jodie Foster's boss, but he's wasted. He, does, he doesn't do anything. He comes out maybe for like a total of 15 minutes throughout the entire show. Uh, there's this big bad company that arises in the show, and they don't really do much. The protests don't really amount to anything. There's just a lot of lot of stuff that doesn't go anywhere. Again, I think it's because the season was shorter and they tried to wrap it up too quickly, but it really was detrimental to the entire show. So let's get into the pros and some cons about this show. The pros is it's a solid, albeit flawed, outing for Issa Lopez taking on the daunting responsibility of taking over a show. Uh, a show which, I might add, carries a lot of clout. All the actors here came to act, and they do their job to the best of their ability, and it shows. So they, they all try their hardest. It just, it just falls a little flat. So the cons, as we're getting to them, there's just a ton of wasted potential here. Wasted characters, a lot of threads leading nowhere, as I said before. Some rushed storylines, some rushed character development. It feels like it was meant to be a slow burn, then forgot it had two less episodes than they originally thought. So they kind of just sped it all up and we got what we got. Uh, I guess the question people are asking or would ask is, is it worth a watch? Yeah, I mean, I still think that even though it doesn't have satisfactorial conclusions for most of the characters, I think the mystery is fun. I think it's in a cool setting and everyone does try their best. It has a very strong start and at the very least engages your mind and imagination. So I think you should give it a watch. You, you might be able to just watch the first couple of episodes and be like, you know what would have been cool this? It, it, that's what it does. I think that's what it does well, is just engaging your imagination and being entertaining in the fact that you don't really see a lot of shows in Alaska. It's a creepy freaking atmospheric place. And it's fun to just see how people live out there, even if it is in a show. I, so for, for those aspects, I think, I think it's worth a watch. But with that being said, let's go in from the cold nights of night country and on to the blood-drenched sword carried by Wolf on his quest to keep the Iron Code or break it. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is from Software's Feudal Japan Shinobi Samurai Revenge action game. From Software is known for making extremely difficult games like the Dark Souls series, they pioneered and they've also inspired several games referring to any game that matches their playstyle as a Soulsborne game in respect to them pioneering this type of game. Sekiro 
is usually hailed to be the hardest game in their discography. And I can honestly say yes and no. It seems daunting at first, and it is. But the more you understand the game's mechanics, the easier it gets. Novel idea, I know. But practice really does make perfect. Or as close as you can to be perfect in this game. I still have yet to finish Sekiro, but I am nearing the conclusion. And I can say that I am addicted. I want to complete it and beat it, but I'm not sure if it's because I'm competitive slash a completionist or because I'm really enjoying it. So I'll break this game down to three things. Story, exploration, and combat. And maybe we can find out together if I really enjoy it or not. And hopefully you guys can, you know, derive what you want from it and take a crack at it as well. So we start the game as an in-game character with a backstory, not a Tarnist or an Ashen or an Undead or whatever that is usually the case, but a character that goes by the name of Wolf. He's orphaned during a bloody war and taken in by a monster of a shinobi named Owl. You are trained in the ways of the shinobi and follow their law known as the Iron Code. You are tasked to protect a young prince named Lord Kuro. The castle comes under attack and you try escaping with the child in tow and surprise, surprise, you fail. And that's where the game starts. The game continues after that several years later and we find Wolf as half the man he used to be, quite literally because he is missing an arm and has given up on his mission. For whatever reason, he decides his job isn't done and goes to seek out Lord Kuro after he finds information that Lord Kuro is still alive. The game takes several twists and turns from then on, but it's pretty straightforward and thankfully voice acted throughout. This is a very linear game compared to FromSoft's previous work and I think it benefits from it immensely. It's not as ambiguous or as uh, ominous as the other games and I like that a lot. Sometimes you just want to play a straightforward game with a clear story. People kidnap my prince, I must kill my way to him. That's freaking dope. So that's sweet. I'm on board fully. The story for me is as good as it can be. It does its job. It's easy to follow. Again, it's voice acted. And there's enough quirky and unique characters throughout to make it interesting and strange enough to satisfy that from software itch. Moving on to the movements and the exploration aspect of the game. Let me start off by saying they have cool ideas and cool settings. A winter wildland, a burning village, an undead town in Mibu village. The settings are dope. They truly are. But traversing them is another thing entirely. Here's where the fan base is going to get mad and yell, Get good! But say what you will, I witnessed many problems firsthand. The first of many is the grappling hook. There are many times when my grappling hook is prompted to be used, but then it can't be. There are sweet spots you need to reach before you can use your grappling hook, and it's unclear exactly where you need to stand to be able to use it. Sometimes you need to just make blind faith leaps and hope that it works. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. They also have other traversal abilities like jumping wall to wall, a very old school shinobi from the Sega Genesis style, but it's utilized like three times 
which begs the question as to why they even put it in there. Wall jumping in general feels pretty lame to me, like there isn't much weight to it, and the leap isn't very high. There's plenty of times where you are trying to reach an elevated platform, and even though there is a designated grab button where Wolf can lift himself lift himself up over a cliff or an edge, he can't to grab on to several surfaces. It has to be a very specific flat edge. And these might seem like little small things, but when you're being actively shot at or attacked by multiple enemies, the minor issues become glaringly major. All in all, exploration works well in theory, and once you know the map design and the level in and out, it does become fun, but god damn is it a slog and a ton of error to get there. The game seems purposely and ridiculously hard for the sake of being hard. And I don't know why they would do that. This will put off most people. I mean, it did for me for a, for a long time. I mean, I like the areas. I just don't like the mechanics in the game. Some seem underutilized. Others seem like they don't work when you need them to. And others just force you to attack a situation in the way that the developers wanted you to, instead of doing it however you wanted to. All in all, the exploration is fun because the settings are awesome, but the, the mechanics slow it down immensely. I will say it gets better with time, but any long-range enemies destroy the immersion with their tracking, which is nigh on impossible to dodge. And whenever Wolf's grappling hook doesn't work or his climbing isn't available, the game slows down and I think it just sucks. But finally, to the next aspect of the game, the nitty gritty of it, the combat. I'll be the first person to say, I do not think the combat works. I think there are many mechanics, many little nuances, many, many things in the game, and many of them don't work or are unclear. There are enemies that require certain upgrades or items, like the headless enemy, for example. Other times, the Mikuri counter seems not to function as it was designed to. Then the jump kick on enemies doesn't seem to work as well as it should. There just seems to be times where the game itself doesn't work. Sometimes when you try to backstab or do a death blow on an enemy, Wolf just slashes instead of doing the animation. I'm not saying this happens all the time, of course not, but it happens enough where it becomes an issue, especially during a boss fight, when you dodge into the thrust attack for the Makuri counter, and sometimes you just dash right past the boss, or worse, he gets the hit on you, which makes you question what can you trust? Also, hands down, the camera is the worst adversary you will ever meet in this game. Good luck surviving if someone has you pinned up against a wall, because you don't know what's going on, the game doesn't know what's going on, but I can tell you right here, right now, you are not going to survive it. The worst part is I think the combat does work well, for the most part. So long as you only fight an enemy 1v1, as soon as another enemy enters the fray, your best option is to run. Run like hell. Run away. Keep on running until you hit another checkpoint. 
The enemies with long-range weaponry have impeccable aim and tracking, so they just flat-out suck to deal with whenever they're on screen, or even when they're not, because they can aim at you from miles away. Whenever you are fighting them, my advice is just to run as fast as you can. Boss fights are epic, but the mechanics, the camera, the abilities you need really hinder the fights in my opinion. I think the Dark Souls-esque fights work better because it has to do with just skill and that alone. There isn't a reliance on abilities and or items. I mean, one of the bosses in here requires you to remember you can jump up, catch lightning with your sword, and then redirect it. Which sounds badass, looks pretty cool, but if you didn't read that or you skimmed over it, you probably never beat that boss and you gave up. And for those of you saying, well, you shouldn't be glossing over things or you shouldn't be re you, you shouldn't skip over things. Yeah, but also if you click A on accident, sometimes you're just trying to move on with the game because you're having such a good time playing it. Or maybe you're not paying attention because someone's talking to you. You know, life does interrupt. And if you forget that, well, you're kind of screwed unless you look it up and find out how the hell do I beat this lightning guy? So, I'll say with stuff like that, they need to be ironed out a little bit. I will say the game does open up near the ending. It gets immensely easier. There is no way for people to really grind and become stronger, which I can appreciate. But every time you do defeat a boss or a mini-boss, you get rewarded with these prayer beads that if you get four of them, you get increased life and posture. Or if you beat a... Uh, a real like big boss, not a mini boss, but like an actual boss that you need to progress through the story, you get a stronger attack. So things like that help make the game easier where you finally get strong enough that when you fight someone, it feels like an even fight. When that happens, the game does feel way better. It, feel, it feels great. I honestly believe the game gets better upon New Game Plus and after, but before that, it just feels cruel. Once you know how the game works and all of its nuances and all of its mechanics, what works and doesn't, it's fun. But until then, I think the game just feels painful and like a lot of work. Some things that could have just been dealt with easier, some mechanics that they could have just etched in there's a, a training dummy character in the game who you can practice your abilities on, your moves and stuff like that. That's very interesting. What would have been cool that you could have added in is he should have given you pointers. Like if you keep dying against a certain boss, he might tell you something like, you know what? I heard that this type of prosthetic shinobi arm is pretty useful for enemies like this. Just to like give you some advice as you play the game and you could just immerse yourself into it and you can just do things you never thought of before. I think the game needs to play a little bit more with that. With as linear as it is, it should show you some of the nuances. I mean, I can appreciate you investigating and figuring things out yourself, but for as linear as it is, as I said, I think they could have been a little more handholdy in some of these events. However, I would like to say for anyone who thinks this game is perfect and the combat is perfect and that it's a masterpiece, I think that's freaking awesome. At the end of the day, if you're enjoying the game and you think it's awesome, I am not trying to take anything away from it or you or anything. 
These are just my opinions. And if you're in the same boat as I am, I just want you to know you're not alone. So those of you who love the game, do not let me deter that at all. So those of you who don't, I can empathize. And to those who are on the fence, I think you should give it a go. Even if it kicks your ass, it does get better the further you make it. I mean, I highly suggest if you are not enjoying the game even a little bit, by the time you get to Senpo Temple, then I think you could stop playing it. There's nothing for you to prove if you've made it that far. And I feel like here's where the enemies and your character is leveled up enough that the game seems fair. Also, there aren't nearly as many of those gun-wielding enemies from here on out. In the end, I'm still not sure if I truly enjoy Sekiro. I know it is fun, but it took a while for me to start having fun. Most of it seemed like a chore. I mean, there are a ton of things to like about the game, but also a ton of things to hate. I think that's okay. A game needs not be perfect. And if you think it is or it isn't, that's completely acceptable as well. I think it's worth checking out, but I will be the first to complain about its several flaws. That's my take on Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, but it's completely okay if you die plenty more than that in the game. You don't suck. You don't have to get good. Sometimes you just need to be lucky and try until you crack the code. And if it's taken years off your life, move on. Play something that lets you relax and enjoy your time in it. A few quick things and I'm out of here. Amigo the Devil, a favorite band of mine, is releasing their album, their third studio album, uh, Yours Until the War Is Over, tomorrow, Friday the 23rd of February. They are a po punk, folk, rock, metal, acoustic amalgam of music. Give them a try. I recommend them 100%. The weather is hitting the high 40s here in Chicago, which is nice, believe it or not. So go enjoy the sunshine. Love having you guys here to listen to a lunatic rant. I truly do. It means the world. But before I say goodbye, never forget. Storytelling is a way we share what we love to who we love. So go play, watch, read, write, listen, and tell your stories. I'll catch y'all on the next one.